Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 67 of the Benzo Free Podcast. It's really good to be back with you again today. Um, I know I often ramble on in our intro, but today I just don't have time. Sometimes when I write up the script for the the podcast episodes, I think I'm going to be short, and I usually wind up being long, <laughs> and today is no difference. Oh, so I'll keep this pretty short here, but we have a good feature today, very timely and relevant, I hope. We have a great Benzo story to share, great comment in our mailbag, and and even a short item in our spotlight section. But before we move on, I do want to just say this, that I, I really hope today's podcast episode finds you well. Today our format will include our introduction, which you just heard, <laughs> albeit brief, our spotlight, Benzo story, feature, and our moment of peace. Our feature today is on anger. And before we move on, don't forget we need your help. We need feedback of any kind. We truly want to hear from you. You can provide feedback in four ways. Comment directly on one of our podcasts or blog posts so others can see. Fill out our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback. Email us at podcast at benzofree.org or leave feedback on one of our podcast carriers so others can find us. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And if you wish to help support what we do here, you can visit our donations page at benzofree.org slash donate. Trust me, every little bit helps. And don't forget the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's move on to our spotlight. In our spotlight section today, I just want to briefly mention an important day that is coming up. As many of you know, July 11th is World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day. There are many events going on and many ways to get personally involved if you are interested. Please visit WBAD's website at w-bad.org for more information. And you can use the hashtag World Benzo Day to help raise awareness on social media. I'm working on something at Benzo Free 2 to help celebrate World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day, and I'll provide more info on this coming soon when, you know, I figure out what the hell it might look like. <laughs> anyway, our spotlight is very short today, more just a reminder, even a teaser, if you will, to save the date. And if you want to help spread the word, perhaps organize something for your area. Stay tuned for more info in the days ahead. And now, on to our mailbag. Since last week our entire feature was focused on our mailbag and questions and comments from you, I'm only going to share one comment today. This comment is from Jeannie in Seattle, Washington. Jeannie wrote a great email to me last week sharing her personal struggles with everything going on in the world today and some good news about her path of healing and the physician she is currently working with. I wanted to share parts of her email with you today. Jeannie writes, Hi Dee, hope this email finds you and your family well. As I work in public health nutrition, I counsel people all day long. And to be quite honest, I am in a space where I don't care anymore. I'm feeling weepy and emotionally and physically exhausted right about now. I also feel very irritable. I even asked my boyfriend to not come over tonight 
even though we had plans to get together. He understands. I was having so many great windows, but this wave comes a bit unexpectedly. But hey, here's some good news. I'm really enjoying the new YouTube channel. And yesterday, when I was listening to your latest podcast, I enjoyed very much your breathing meditation at the end. A lot of my recovery right now is focused on learning how to breathe deeply through the belly. And I've gotten into counseling. I've had two consecutive appointments and plan to continue to show up. So far, it has been actually very helpful, and I like my counselor. This past week, I had an appointment with my health care provider, the guy who's been prescribing the clonopin for me during the taper. I asked him if me being his patient has impacted his practice when it comes to other patients wanting benzos. Uh, apparently not. He let me know that as a practice, he does not prescribe benzos at all. However, if he has a new patient, of course he continues the benzos and find ways to try to taper them off if they are willing. That lifted me up. I don't know that I had an impact on him, but I was happy to hear about his prescribing practices regarding benzos. We have a large homeless population around here, right around the clinic that I go to, and those people also seek their health care at that clinic. And he agreed that a mixture of homelessness and alcoholism and benzos is super, super bad. Not to mention the other drugs on the street. So, I'm going to let myself experience my current situation this evening and hope for a brighter day tomorrow. Take care, Jeannie. Thanks, Jeannie. Many of you have heard Jeannie's name before on the podcast. This is not the first time I've shared something from her, and I sure hope it's not the last either. She has great insight and has always been happy to share her words of encouragement on the podcast. I think what Jeannie described in the first part of that message resonates with many of us, and especially with our topic today on the podcast. We've spoken many times about the rising anxiety and tension that many of us are feeling, and this is triggering waves and a variety of symptoms. These are stressful times, and well, to be quite honest, for those of us who have been through benzo withdrawal, we just don't handle stress like we used to. At least I don't. It sounds to me like Jeannie has found a way to take care of herself and has an understanding boyfriend to boot. I'm also happy to hear that she started counseling. Now, I'm not saying counseling is for everyone, and I know some people have had bad experiences. But as a whole, techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy and others have been well-researched and often show results equal to, if not better than, medication. And without all those nasty side effects <laughs> that we know so well. I've been in and out of counseling my whole life, and I have often found it beneficial. Not always. And not every counselor I've seen was as effective. But there were some good ones. And I know I'm better equipped to handle the psychological hurdles in my life because of it. Jeannie mentioned that she was pleasantly surprised to learn that her health care provider was benzo-wise, and that is a very good sign. I've been starting to see more of that here and there, and I am really hoping that trend will continue. Thanks, Jeannie, for the comment, and for letting me share it here. Please take care and be well. Let's move on to our benzo story. Today, we have a benzo story from Miguel in Atlanta, Georgia. Miguel's story, like many we share, is a story of some very difficult trials and struggles. So it's, it's probably good to provide another trigger warning here, which I often do, in case hearing stories of difficulty and struggles is an issue for you. Please remember that we have a time index in our show notes, so you can skip to the next section if you so choose. 
Miguel's story is in two parts from two separate emails, and he has a lot of information to share. Some failures, some successes, and as always, things we can learn from his experience. Miguel writes the following in his first email. My ordeal started just going to the doctor for bowel discomfort. I live here in the U.S., but I'm originally from Argentina. Two years ago, in one of my visits there, and not trusting the healthcare system here, I decided to get a second opinion. Well, I was given Cipro and another medication that had bromazepam in it. A week later, after coming back to the U.S., hell broke loose. Extreme insomnia, intrusive thoughts, depersonalization, derealization, you name it. It was what I would call a lower-intensity panic attack that would last all day. In the next four months, after a visit to a psychiatric doctor, I was put on the medication bus. Luckily, I was given low doses of SSRIs and benzos, lorazepam, for a short period of time. I couldn't stand any medication. At the end, the insomnia was so bad that they torpedoed me with clonazepam, one milligram, that I took for four months at the beginning of 2018. Then it took me two tapers that lasted almost a year each to get into the dose I'm at now, 0.036 milligrams. I was able to do this using pills and liquid reduction following a program available at Benzo Buddies. I ended up prepping my own clonazepam liquid using a mortar and Aura Plus suspension. Jim Hawk's DMLT program is the one I used. It hasn't been easy during this two and a half years. I'm still wandering in the woods. The thing is that I don't know if it was the benzos or being floxed that triggered all of this. The more stubborn things still hurting are the pulsating tinnitus and the intrusive thoughts. Blur vision is also bothering, but I'm 61, so part of it could be nature. Distraction, as you say, is one of the best remedies we have. I also can add that omega-3 curcumin and cold showers have been a blessing for me, especially cold showers. I take two a day and one before bed, and it's been a lifesaver. Sorry, Dee, it's, it's been a long speech. Thank you very much for what you do. Miguel followed up a few days later with the following. I would like to add something of importance that happened in my first taper that lasted 10 months. From one milligram upon a pin and then three months off the medication. I reinstated. I didn't do good during those three months off. I had lost a lot of weight, anxiety, and particularly dizziness that I never had before came up on me full force. It was a desperation to get better that took me to take supplements. I didn't stick to any of them, but I did do L-theanine, very low dose. I cold-turkeyed it after two weeks, and then hell came back on me. Like in the beginning of my ordeal, even worse. The only help from doctors that I got was to reinstate or take other drugs. It was so bad that I decided to go back to one milligram of clonopin. I got stabilized immediately after two weeks. Then I decided to start immediately my second taper and reduce the dose 25% the first week. I cruised tapering the rest, 0.75 milligrams, since May last year. I learned later on that L-theanine, concentrated green tea, acts on GABA receptors. And when you quit, you get some same withdrawal symptoms like benzos. I also learned that 400 milligrams is like 15 cups of green tea. D, 
I want to emphasize on this part of my journey the dangers of taking supplements during or after withdrawal. I know everybody is different, but from my experience now, we, we have to be extremely careful and only take stuff from natural sources, preferably from food. Reinstatement is a bad word in the BenzoNet world. Not much help or experienced people to help you on this issue. Although the Ashton Manual also gives thumbs down on reinstatement, she gives a more hopeful comparison as when quitting smoking. Sometimes it takes several attempts to succeed. That statement from her helped me tremendously at the beginning of my second taper journey. Another thing I would like to stress, D, is that benzo withdrawal would amplify all the irregularities, mental and physical, that you had before taking them, at least for me. I was always a patient person, meaning able to tolerate things, but still anxious. Bad news or horror news would stick to me for some time or would come up when anxious, but nothing compared to the same symptoms in withdrawal. They would be a hundred times worse, plus the new ones. Anxiety brings a huge bag of symptoms, and Benzos knows when and where to poke them on you. As a final note, D, I can say that I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I took the two tapers as part of a process. For some, changes come fast. In my case, it's more kind of in installments. Thanks again for being such a nice and patient human being. Miguel. Wow. Thank you, Miguel. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story here on the podcast. So much information to digest there. <laughs> I, I am so pleased that you have started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I always love stories that end with that kind of hope. I love that you shared your experience with reinstatement. And you are right. Everyone's journey is different. And for some of us, that includes updosing or reinstatement. While this is something many of us recommend to avoid if you can, that's not always possible. As you know, I correspond with some very distraught individuals through this podcast, and some of them have faced the same decision as Miguel. My, my only advice is this, and of course, I don't give advice, as you know. But the only thing I would say is this. Be kind to yourself. This is hard. Benza withdrawal, for many of us, might be the hardest challenge we face in our lives. And sometimes things get tough, really tough. For some, that even includes severe prostration, pain from symptoms, and even suicidality. If you need to make these hard decisions during your withdrawal, please don't be too hard on yourself. You are doing the best you can. Yes, reinstating or updosing may make it harder to withdraw the second or third time around. But sometimes that's the process you have to go through to get through this. Be kind to yourself. This is hard, but you will get through it, much as Miguel did. Miguel's story also mentioned being floxed. In case you didn't make the connection, he was referring to being prescribed Cipro, an antibiotic, which is in the class of medications called fluoroquinolones or quinolones. We've spoken about those a few times on this podcast. Being floxed is a term often used to describe the sometimes devastating effects of this group of drugs. It comes from the suffix on most of the drug's brand names, such as ciprofloxin, levofloxin, moxifloxin, etc. This class of drugs is to be avoided, if at all possible, during benzo withdrawal. It is one of the very few classes of medications Ashton mentions in her manual because of possible nerve damage, including neuropathy. 
This class of drugs has a black box warning from the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. But unfortunately, it is still prescribed quite frequently. I know, because I too was prescribed Cipro and took the drug blindly during my withdrawal. If you're prescribed a quinolone, it might be a good idea to speak with your doctor and see if there is an alternative. But remember, I am not a medical professional and can't advise anyone on medication use. And that goes for supplements too. Miguel had some complications with supplements during his withdrawal and that is not at all uncommon. I can't advise you either way on this too. Please, work with your doctor or nutritionist and find what's best for you. Some people have found supplements to help them. Some people have found supplements to make their withdrawal worse. As for what I did, I followed similar methodology as Miguel. Less is more. I preferred to stick more to improving my diet and, like Ashton and Miguel recommended, getting my vitamins and minerals in my food. But the choice is yours. Anyway, thank you, Miguel, for your story and insight. I'm sure it connected with many of our listeners, and I'm glad you chose to share it with us here today. Take care, and please keep in touch. And that ends our Benzo story. Now, let's move on to our feature. Our feature today is on anger. But before we dive in too deep, I do want to say a few things up front. Anger can lead to violence, and thus, it's important for us to protect those who might be at risk in this type of situation. If you or someone you know are having thoughts of violence against yourself or others, please get help. There are resources all around the world to help in these situations. If you're having suicidal thoughts, we've listed several resources on our website at benzofree.org suicide. Please remember to always take suicidal ideations seriously, especially during benzo withdrawal. And as for thoughts or acts of violence, these need to be taken seriously as well. The first concern in any situation of this type is safety for all concerned. If you are feeling violent or you sense that someone you are with is becoming violent, make sure that you and your family are safe. Many times it just means pulling back from the situation for a while. But after things quiet down and everyone is safe, then maybe it might be a good idea to seek professional help. There are a variety of social services in all communities that provide counseling, family therapy, shelter, legal support, and much more. Please, don't be afraid to get support, to get help. Okay, we've covered that. <laughs> let's move back and let's get back to our topic, which is anger. <laughs> oh, where to start? You know, we, we call this so many different things. Anger, irritability, antagonism, indignation, resentment, outrage, rage, hatred, loathing, vexation. That's a fun one. Acrimony, furor, fury, frenzy. It, it doesn't matter what you call it. The overall definition usually fits in some way. And that is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. So many things happening in the world today which may feel threatening to us. And our typical homo sapien response is one of fear, anxiety, anger, even hate and rage. And since I am a very introspective person, <laughs> which is a nice word for having looping thoughts or a ruminating brain that I can't turn off, but since I am introspective, I contemplate things like this for hours even days. And I come up with my own theories, which are mostly wrong, <laughs> but nonetheless occupy my time. Let's talk about our reactions here. One thing I've noticed in myself is my own reactions of anger. I have my hot button issues. Who doesn't? 
the one or two topics that would just send me off by hearing just a word or two. This happened often during my withdrawal, and I, I couldn't turn the thoughts off once they were in my head. And for a long, long time, I thought the issue was the problem. Why didn't other people think like I do about this topic? And I would get angry. And I would get depressed. I'd even get a little hopeless at times. But slowly I started to notice something in myself. I was getting mad about other things too. Something going on in the neighborhood. Something my mom said on the phone last night. Something my wife said over breakfast. Something I read in a book. And I realized that maybe, just maybe, that one or two issues aren't the only problems here. In fact, maybe it's me. Could I be a bit overreactive to things? <laughs> no, that can't be it at all. Of course not. Everyone out there should think the way I think, right? <laughs> of course that's not right. But we so often fall into that trap, don't we? As I did. I had this bullseye painted on my chest and it was making me miserable. I was, I guess the best word is, irritable. Very irritable at times. And I was kind of looking for something to irritate me. But you know, for me, there's something else that I've had to deal with, with all this. And, and why this has been especially difficult for me. You know, the reason why I avoided the news during my withdrawal, and still do, all boils down to probably one simple issue for me. I didn't always know this, but it has become more and more clear as I became more introspective during my withdrawal. And that is that I am a die-hard conflict avoider. I hate conflict. Yes, I know it stems from many places. Childhood is a big one. And I'm not going to waste your time to tell you my woes from back then. But suffice it to say, I hate conflict. And it's not even really hate. It's actually fear. Although anger and hate often evolve from that. Perhaps this is something you struggle with too. In the age of digital media, social media, internet trolls, shame wars, scandals, activists, pundits at every corner, it's hard to find someplace safe to turn when this is your problem. And during my withdrawal, it got really bad. And it left me distraught, depressed, and without hope at times. As you might expect, I became the peacemaker in my family <laughs> and would do anything to stop my parents from fighting. It was like life or death for me at times. Do I know this is a problem and not healthy? Of course I do. And that is one of the key reasons I have been in and out of therapy. But when I was in benzo withdrawal and I no longer had the ability to turn off the ruminations and looping thoughts, it could be a nightmare at times. The good news is I found a way out. Sure, I still get triggered and have several times in the past few months. But it doesn't last as long. And I know I will get through it. It's not hopeless anymore. I've even learned to stand up for myself more often. It feels good to find that strength. Oh, I rambled. That's me, warts and all. Hi, my name is Dee, and I am a conflict avoider. <laughs> Let's move on to the rest of our topic. Emotions. Let's talk about these. Anyone want to guess how many specific human emotions have been identified? Anyone? You got a guess? Was it anywhere around 34,000? That's right, thousand. Well, that's the number that some psychologists have come up with. To me, it's a little bit like the color spectrum. Ask any graphic designer or artist how many colors there are, and they may tell you it's in the thousands, probably even more than emotions. But many of us can still isolate that down to red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, and, of course, black, and, and white, and, and gray. 
Okay, never mind. The main point here is although there are thousands of colors, you can identify them as derivatives often of a few basic categories, such as the primary colors. Well, the same is true for emotions. Although there may be as many as 34,000 specific emotions, in the 1970s, psychologist Robert Plitchik identified six basic emotions that he suggested were universally experienced by all human cultures. Of course, he later expanded it with four more. <laughs> and then in 2017, a study published in Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences suggested that there are far more basic emotions than previously believed. 27, in fact. <laughs> okay, trying to simplify this and simplify colors is near impossible. But let's just get back to the eight primary emotions Pluchek identified back in 1980 which was called the Psychoevolutionary Theory of Emotion, or the Emotion Wheel. These eight basic emotions can be presented in pairs, opposites, perhaps. They are joy and sadness, trust and disgust, fear and anger, and surprise and anticipation. There, that's just eight of them. I can deal with that. Twenty-seven. Way too many, but eight I can handle. Of course, much like colors, this wheel uses eight as a basis, but expands from there. Since we are talking about anger today, let's focus there. On this wheel, you can combine anger with its neighbor, anticipation, and you get aggressiveness. Or you can combine it with the other neighbor, disgust, and you get contempt. If you intensify anger, you get rage. You get my point, I think. Maybe I don't get my point, but there, there's a point in there somewhere. I just know it. But I like simplicity. I want to make this whole thing even more basic for our conversation today. So I'm going to turn to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the American Swiss psychiatrist and author of the international bestseller On Death and Dying. She said the following about emotions. There are only two emotions, love and fear. All positive emotions come from love. All negative emotions from fear. From love flows happiness, contentment, peace, and joy. From fear comes anger, hate, anxiety, and guilt. It's true that there are only two primary emotions, love and and fear. But it's more accurate to say that there is only love or fear. For we cannot feel these two emotions together at exactly the same time. They're opposites. If we're in fear, we are not in a place of love. When we're in a place of love, we cannot be in a place of fear. Well, this is totally my opinion, as all things on this podcast are. I have to agree with Kubler-Ross. On the love side of things, the positive side, the constructive side, we have happiness, contentment, peace, and joy, like she said. You know, sounds like a great place to hang out to me. And on the fear side of things, the negative side, the destructive side, we have anger, hate, anxiety, and guilt. A place where many of us spend a lot of time that would give anything to switch sides. In benzo withdrawal, we have a lot of fear. We have a lot of anxiety and guilt. And, per our subject today, we often have a lot of anger, too. And sometimes, we don't even realize how much. But, if that is the case, why do we cling to it so tightly? Why are we so afraid, there's that fear again, to let go of the anger. Well, one simple solution comes to mind for me, and that is, it feels good. No, not in the long run, and not in a healthy, stable, mental health kind of way. In fact, harboring that resentment is very unpleasant and very unhealthy, but more in an addict's craving for the next hit kind of way, thinking 
of the time when you get to get them back for what they did. That hope, that addictive hook that won't let you go. When we express ourselves from a place of anger, we may get our fix. It feels good to criticize, argue, yell, scream, even hit, at least for a little while. But that action, coming from a place of anger, has consequences. And those consequences can be severe. Much like a drug addict, that fix feels great in the moment, but destroys in the end. In Benza withdrawal, our brake line has been cut. I've shared this analogy many times because I feel it's so accurate. We don't have the brakes to slow down or reverse our emotional downfall. Whether it's emotions of fear, anxiety, guilt, anger, hate, rage, anything like that. When something or someone does something to us or says something we disagree with or irritates us, we absorb it, we judge it, and we decide, often without conscious thought, whether it is something to be happy about or not. This is all done in a split second, and we often can't control it. If it's something we don't like, our body and mind reacts instantly. Once our brain perceives this event as negative and worthy of our anger, many things happen in the body affecting our physiological and psychological processes. Now, this isn't unique to those of us dependent on benzos or going through withdrawal. It happens to everyone. We all get mad sometimes. We all get angry. We all want to make that person pay for what she or he did or said. The main difference for us is in how long it lasts, in our ability to let it go. Remember, we have no breaks or at least they are very worn and mostly ineffective. And we struggle, sometimes for hours, sometimes for days, to let go of this one event. And it doesn't even have to be an actual event with an actual person. In fact, most often, that's not the case. Most often, we are triggered by the news, by a blog post, by someone's vacation photos, hell, just by a simple thought with no known trigger at all and we're back in the rumination runaround. But how do we manage this? How do we find ways out of the anger, out of the hate, out of the fear? Well, I've dealt with this for about seven years now. I, I still have the ruminating anger. It's better than it was for a while. It was quite severe at times. It was never violent. That's not my typical response, although I do realize everyone is capable of violence but I usually became irritable, depressed, and was trapped in my never-ending looping thoughts. Now, I did enjoy fantasizing about my revenge, <laughs> you know, a sternly worded response that would make them, whoever they are, see my way of thinking instantly and apologize profusely for their ignorance. <laughs> Having those brief fantasies would feel good for a moment or two, but they quickly disappeared and I was left with the anger and despair. I did find ways to cope. And while I still get angry and even get trapped in that cycle now and again, it rarely lasts as long as it used to. And most of the time, I am relatively happy and relatively calm. I found a lot of solutions to help me with my anger during my withdrawal, and I want to cover seven quick tips here in the podcast today. Number one is think before you speak. Shanti David once said, Whatever wholesome deeds that have been amassed over a thousand aeons will all be destroyed in one moment of anger. Those are some pretty true words. A lifetime of love, affection, duty, honor, work, kindness can all be destroyed in one moment of anger. Before you speak harshly, stop. Think. Even walk away for a while if you must. Allow cooler heads to prevail. My wife and I have an unwritten rule in our house. Whenever you get ready to send a heated email to someone, have the other person check it out first. 
I've had my wife check more than a few emails of mine, and I am so very glad that I did. And I have done the same for her. And she is one of the sweetest human beings on this planet. But even she gets mad now and then. Number two, learn about anger. I learned anything I could on managing anger. And there were some awesome books that helped me. The Cow in the Parking Lot by Leonard Sheff and Susan Edmiston. The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F blank blank K by Mark Manson. I can't say it here on our podcast. A Complaint Free World by Will Bowen. The lecture Don't Bite the Hook by Pema Children. And many others that I checked out of the library but don't have in my personal collection, which helped me along the way. I don't care where you get your guidance. From articles on the web, from books at the library, from YouTube videos or classes at your neighborhood college, from scripture or religious teachings, whatever works for you. But if you suffer from anger, it's probably a good idea to learn about it and how to deal with it. Number three, avoid anger triggers. I know this one's not a surprise, but I did use avoidance and it really helped me during my withdrawal. I know it was not a long-term solution. Avoidance never is. But if it gets you through the tough patches, it might just be what you need for the short term. If you know of the triggers that set off your anger, keeping clear of them for a while may be beneficial. Number four, share your struggles with your support network. Tell your loved ones about your struggles with anger. Tell them that you are having a problem. Trust me, they probably already know. And let them know that you want to do anything you can to help manage it. But you might need help. And ask for their help. Including them in your recovery helps them feel included instead of excluded. And provides you a support system you may desperately need. Number five, step away. When you feel the irritability or anger rising, step away from the situation. If you shared your struggles with your family and friends, then have a phrase that you can use to tell them what is going on. Something like, I need some space for a minute, or I'm going to step away for a bit. Explain to them in advance that this is only so you can cool down for a little while, and that they should not take it personally. And then after, you can return when you are more level-headed and continue your activity or discussion. Number six, get professional help if needed. If your anger is severe, chronic, or you are having thoughts of violence, please get professional help. Find a good therapist to work with who can help you through these emotions. Even though the therapist you find may not know much about benzos, they probably know about people with anger issues and can still be a lot of help. And number seven, step into the other's shoes. I'm ending with this one because I think it's the best of all. Few things help to ease the tension of anger more than empathizing with your perceived enemy. Try and figure out why they said what they said, why they did what they did. Try and understand where they are coming from, what experiences they have had in their life, or in their week, or in their day, that help them feel that way. Understanding is the number one antidote to anger, hands down. Take the time to try and understand the other side of the argument. Other tips to help manage anger can include taking a walk, playing some music, Harnessing your energy in more positive ways for change. Finding humor in the situation. Above all else, and I know this list is done, but I just want to add this here. Not that you haven't heard this from me before, but I just can't help myself. And that is, be kind. I say this on the podcast off and on, and I know it sounds so simplistic, but I really believe there is a lot of wisdom in its simplicity. We teach our children to be kind, but yet we seem to forget it as we get older. Be kind to everyone. 
that's a mantra I try to live with more than any other. I'm not very good at it, <laughs> but I think it's a great goal. I think our feature is best summed up by a very simple quote. A quote which is often attributed to the Buddha or Nelson Mandela. The truth is we really don't know the source of this quote, but the quote is very effective nonetheless. And it goes like this. Holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that wraps up our feature. I hope you enjoyed it. Please allow me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer, and we'll move on to our moment of peace. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can Close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to follow the lead of an easing anxiety video we released last week. And that was for belly breathing. The goal of belly breathing is to slow down your pace of breathing by filling our lungs completely. Far too often during our day, especially when we get busy and rushed, our breathing becomes shallow. Our blood pressure and heart rate become elevated. Cortisol floods our circulatory system and we receive less oxygen in the bloodstream. But sometimes, a simple breathing exercise can reverse this trend and help calm us down. Let's give it a try. Lie flat on your back or in an upright seated position if you prefer. Place one hand on your stomach just below the rib cage and the other on your chest. The goal of belly breathing is to raise the hand on your belly as you inhale without raising the hand on your chest. This helps the oxygen saturate your lungs, filling them completely and slows down your breathing process. Let's start our practice. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath into your belly. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly, naturally, 
and completely. Raising the hand on your belly with each in-breath and keeping the hand on your chest still. Focus your mind on your breathing as you do this practice. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breath. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. Next episode is episode 68, and it will be released July 1st. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.